I wanted my old self back and I couldn't find her. Yep. And I was so incredibly sad mm. for no reason. Nothing had changed in my life. There was no circumstance that would right. make me be sad. That was scarier than anything I think I've ever experienced. And also gave me such, such immeasurable compassion for people who struggle with that a lot. <laughs> this is your Kick-Ass Life Podcast, episode number 316. This is the Your Kick-Ass Life Podcast with Andrea Owen a no BS guide to self-help and badassery. Because ladies, let's face it, life's too short for it to not kick ass. And here's your host, the girl who serves it up straight with a side of crazy, Andrea Owen. Hey there, ass kickers. Welcome to another episode of the podcast. I am so glad that you're here. So because it is sort of the new year, I mean, depending on when you're listening to this, but it's the new year for me. We're in our very first week of January. Actually, this is kind of my first day back. Over the weekend, I rearranged completely the furniture in my office. So my office is in a bonus room of our house. It's not technically a bedroom, but I guess they call this a frog room, front room. No, finished room over garage. I think that's what it stands for. And it doubles as our guest bedroom because it is a rather large room. So it's felt a little bit awkward to me. It's like, is it a bedroom? Is it my office? It's both. But I feel brand new because I turned everything around. And by the way, my husband's injured. So I moved all of the furniture by myself, which I felt like a righteous badass doing that. And I didn't get hurt. So that's amazing. But now I look out the window again and the lighting is great. It's amazing how just a little tiny change in geography can change your perspective and make you feel so brand new. And speaking of brand new, have you had a chance to listen to Not Another Self-Help Podcast? It is the love child of Amy Smith over at The Joy Junkie and me. Wait, and I? I always get that confused. At any rate, we are doing a podcast together. It's called Not Another Self-Help Podcast where it is a little bit of a departure from the things I do over here. It's just she and I. It's no guests yet. We haven't brought any on, but we have a little system over there. We have segments called middle-aged conversations. This is the part where we tell you what to do. And in that segment, we answer your questions. You all have such great personal development questions. There are officially two episodes out right now as of, what is today, January 12th or 13th or whatever it is. But we have eight episodes in this particular season, in our inaugural season. A new one drops every Friday. I'm really excited for you to listen to episode five. So that's going to come out, what, in the very last week of January, early February, where I don't even want to tell you. It's kind of gross. So we talk about, I don't think an episode passes where we don't talk about something happening to the body, whether it's periods or period poop or something going on with the labia or just funny, gross things that I so very rarely talk about over here. We have a great old time over there. So head on over to notanotherpod.com or wherever you get your podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever you grab your podcasts. We would love for you to listen and rate and review to see if we are going to do another season going forward. <laughs> 
All right, I'm excited to bring you this episode because it's been a minute since I have brought you a conversation about shit that matters with unqualified people. And it's not because I didn't want to, it's just that I didn't really have a topic and I thought about you all and I know that a lot of you struggle with anxiety and I know many of you also struggle with depression or know someone that does and I have struggled with it myself and I brought on my dear friend Kate Anthony again who's been on other episodes as an expert as well as conversations about shit that matters with unqualified people as a non-expert. I will put those links in the show notes. Kate is a life coach. She will tell you a little bit about what she does as we start the episode. And for those of you that might be new to these particular episodes, what I like to do is have candid conversations with my real life friends about stuff that happens. We come on these episodes not as experts, not about here, let us tell you the solution or the healing, the tips and tools around the topic. We come on as just two women, two friends having a conversation about an important topic in our lives. So this one, we are talking about anxiety and depression. We do a little bit go into some strategies that we employ in our own self-care regimens, but full disclaimer, we are not doctors. We are not licensed professionals around this particular topic. We're merely giving you our experience and how we have navigated what it looks like in our life. So without further ado, here is my conversation about shit that matters with unqualified people with Kate. Kate Anthony, you're back. I'm so happy to be back. I am so glad that you're here. And for those people who are new to Kate, you are, I know, (laughs) living under a rock maybe. (laughs) Well, I mentioned in the introduction that we've done a, a few other of these episodes. Those are in the show notes. And why don't, I'm going to let you tell people a little bit about, about who you are and what you do Oh, professionally. Wow. Okay. So professionally, yeah, I'm a, a divorce and discernment coach. Uh-huh. I help women decide whether to stay in or leave their marriages. And then I, I help them through if there's, mm-hmm. um, if they decide to go. Um, I'm also a divorce coach and I help women through that process from the psycho-emotional uh, perspective. Um, I also have a podcast called the Divorce Survival Guide Podcast. And that's, yeah, that's it. I'm a, div- I'm a super happily divorced mom um, of a 14 year old and I've been divorced for 10 years. And that's, that's about it, I guess. Right. And you come on my podcast cause you are my close personal friend and colleague. And we have these conversations that are, that are fun. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> this one, I don't know if it's going to be as fun because so fun. We're gonna- <laughs> it's so hilarious. And I, it, it's one that I know that my listeners are going to be interested in mm-hmm. because so many of my audience struggles with anxiety mm-hmm. and I think many of them with depression. Um, and if they don't, they probably know someone that does. Yes. Oh God. Yes. Mm-hmm. How do you not? Right. I mean, it's like, yeah. it's like alcoholism. How do you, <laughs> like, yeah. like, you can't throw a rock without, you know, hitting somebody right. that struggles with it in some, some way or another. Exactly. Well, I, where I want to start is, and this, what's interesting is that I don't think, you know, I know that you've struggled in these realms and I've seen you walk through it over the last years that I've known you, but I don't know like your childhood around it. And so tell me, we'll both kind of share like what our experiences have been with anxiety and depression growing up. So what were yours? Like, when did you know? Well, you know, to be honest, Andrea, I didn't know till I was a grown up. Um, I think 
it's one of those, it was a frog in water kind of thing where uh-huh. I didn't know, um, you know, and I was raised by a single mom. Um, my dad was out of the picture for, mo- I mean, he was in and out um, for most of my life. And my mom, I think, suffers from crippling anxiety, but never has been treated. She's never acknowledged that that she's anxious. Mm-hmm. And I'll say things to her now where I'm like, mom, you're so anxious. I'm not anxious. I'm not, I'm not, I'm just, I'm just, you know, she has like panic attacks. She doesn't, she's just British. She's just British. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. exactly. She's just British. Um, you know, she, the woman doesn't sleep. She gets, she is, she perseverates on things so badly mm-hmm. that she doesn't sleep. And I'm like, that, that, that's anxiety. Yeah. <laughs> like, and she's interesting. And I think that that was similar to me. Um, one of my earliest, Memories was actually not till not until college where my best my best friend from college said to me at one point she taught was talking about my anxiety and I was like what are you talking about mm-hmm. <laughs> I was like I don't have anxiety and she was like Katie the way that you like twiddle your ring like all the time and chew the side of your mouth like I I, I chew okay. the inside of my mouth she's like those are those are anxious behaviors and I was like what. <laughs> And I think because I was raised with su- like people never talking about this and um, it never being a conversation, I just didn't know. I didn't, mm-hmm. and I feel like it's the same, same with my mom where I just don't think that, I think I just didn't identify it as such. Okay. But I definitely, I think looking back, I absolutely had it. So it sounds like it was maybe with both of you, like what is now referred to as high functioning anxiety. Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. Where for some people it's crippling. And and to me, that's like to the point where they can't work. They Mm -hmm. many times can't drive. Mm -hmm. They have regular panic attacks. And I I think it can ebb and flow in people's lives. Mm -hmm. That's interesting. Yeah. I didn't, well, let me back up even more so than, than my own experience, but my dad so my dad got sober when I was 18. He announced, well, first my parents announced their divorce. My mom actually did. She left about five minutes after I graduated from high school, which was a shock to me. Then a couple of months later, my dad announced that he was checking himself into rehab, like a inpatient right. treatment center. I'm like, for what? Yeah. And he said for alcoholism, yep. which was super weird to me. I thought everybody's dad just like drank 10 beers a night. Uh, have we, I don't know if we've ever talked about this because my dad got sober at the exact same time when I was 18 and it was the same mm-hmm. thing. He was like, I've been sober for, you know, he came and told me that he'd been sober for a period of time. And I was like, what? <laughs> wow. I was like, I thought mm-hmm. you just like did drugs. What do you mean alcohol? <laughs> never mind which, it. Which drugs are fine. Right, right. And like, never mind the fact that I literally spent every, every waking minute that I was with my father in his care, I was in a bar. <laughs> oh yeah. You told me about that. They had like the car seat at the bar, like at the, at the foot of the bar. Yeah. No, mine, mine wasn't like that. <laughs> my dad was just an at home. Well, they had, my parents had an active social life too. And my mom never drank, but my dad was the one who, but it was normal. Like everybody's yeah. parents were doing it. Right. It was just parties, it was house parties and parties at the tennis courts. And, and it was completely normal. I never even saw my dad drunk. My dad never even raised his voice. I don't think ever in my life did I hear my dad raise his voice drunk or sober. Mm-hmm. He just was more of an introverted type of guy. Right. And now years and years later, I know that he drank 
to help the trauma that he had that was never addressed as well as his own anxiety and insecurities and fears, which is why so many people drink. But yeah, he went away to an inpatient treatment center that was local and it was super weird to me. And then he got sober. And then after that was when his depression and anxiety, I think, came in full bloom. Right. And and by full bloom, I mean more of an explosion. And I hadn't had any experience with that at all. We didn't know anyone. The only time I had ever heard it spoken about was they, my parents had these really good friends that were tennis friends of theirs. And it was actually my dad's best friend. And this man's best, sorry, this man's wife didn't play tennis, but she was always there and, and definitely in the friendship circle. So my dad came home one day and I remember, it's so funny how like when we're little, we think our houses are so much bigger than they really are. <laughs> I'm sure they were only like 10 feet away from me down the hallway, but it seemed like such a long hallway. And my mom was in the doorway and my dad walked in and he said to my mom and he said, Barb killed herself. <gasps> she shot herself and Mark found her. Mark was their son. Mark was also my tennis teacher uh-huh. and he was probably like 20. Uh-huh. And so, yeah, he found his mother and it was my dad's best friend's wife. And she, and I, my dad like collapsed in my mom's arms crying. It was the first time I'd ever seen my father cry. Uh-huh. First time I had ever known of anyone to take their own life. Uh-huh. And also in the days following, I had probably asked questions or heard them talking about it. She had depression and was on Prozac, which at the time, this was probably the mid eighties. Right. That was like the old drug. Uh, it was, that was it. And I think it was still, I mean, they were still trying to figure it out. Right. Sure. And it was like she, Prozac so, or lithium. Right. right. <laughs> and that was it. So that was my only experience in knowing what that was. So I was terrified of depression and people that had to be on medication. That was, that was all that I thought that it was. And when my dad, I don't remember how I found out if it was from him or if it was my, he was still speaking to my mom. And that's how I found out that his anxiety and depression were clinical at that point when my dad got sober. I remember judging him so much and just being like, why does it, it seemed like a moral failing, like not just the alcoholism, but, and just such shame on me and my family, not, you know, like I didn't have a lot of friends that were divorced, had divorced parents. So that coupled with the fact that my dad was an alcoholic and then now this depression, anxiety bullshit, like I had such shame around it, so much judgment to him and, and not understanding what it was. Like I thought he could control that. Like, why don't you just get your shit together? And then I got a phone call from him. And it was, it had been a couple of weeks, but he told me, maybe we met for coffee. I can't remember, but he told me that he had a panic attack in the middle of an intersection while driving, had to open the car door and was vomiting. Oh my God. And I remember feeling so bad for him and just imagining him there. My dad was a real estate agent, like just in his suit, like trying to like go show a home or something. And, and it was, it was the juxtaposition of on one hand being feeling so heartbroken for him that my dad was sick. And then on the other hand, my dad had fallen off of his white horse. Yes. He had always been, I mean, I thought that man hung the moon and to see him human, it was so confusing and still in a lot of judgment, (laughs) still in a lot of shame and fear. And that really was like my introduction to depression and anxiety 
very misunderstood. Yep. And it wasn't until about um, eight years later that I walked into my own. And it's so much for a, for like a kid, for a, kid, a teenager, for a te- for mm-hmm. teenager to like hold all of that, right? D- from divorce to alcoholism to it's like it's like the the curtains being ripped back on so much of life's realities all at one time. And that's, and we didn't talk about hard things. Right. Exactly. Exactly. I remember when I was a kid, my grandma, she was, she was, you know, we called her at the time we called her a hypochondriac. Mm -hmm. Always something wrong with her. She was always at the doctor. And one Mm -hmm. of my earliest memories of her is her taking me over to her bedside table stand and she opened the top drawer and it was just a sea of amber bottles, just a sea of pill bottles. And from like front to back, and she took me and showed me and she said, don't ever touch anything in this drawer. They might look Mm -hmm. like candy, but they're poison. And I mean, I think she, I think she told me they were poisonous and I was like, but you take them, you know, like, Anyway, and so my earliest memories of my grandma are, you know, constantly going to the doctor, everyone like in the family calling her a hypochondriac. And what I start, what I'm noticing now, like in hindsight and retrospect is my grandmother, and this is my dad's mom. Okay. She was a refugee. (laughs) She escaped. Wow. Yeah. She escaped from Russia at a very young, when she was like eight years old on a refugee boat she made her way across Eastern Europe into Western Europe to the United States. And that I think my grandmother had a tremendous amount of anxiety. Mm-hmm. I think mm-hmm. all of her stuff, she had IBS. So she had like irritable bowel syndrome. She had mm-hmm. like all the, all these things that now I think we would look at and, and be like, she had anxiety and yeah. she had trauma. Yeah. She had like untreated trauma and anxiety. And and I think, you know, that stuff is genetic. It's, we now know that trauma is passed down through generations. And I just think there was a ton of that in my family on all mm-hmm. sides, on all sides. Yeah. I think, I think the vast majority, if not all families, especially when it was so difficult, like that is a long ass way to come over on a boat. It's not like it was a Disney cruise ship that she was on coming over from Russia. No. Wow. So yeah, she probably, well, and what's interesting too, is I think back then the men just couldn't talk about it at all. And they didn't. That's probably why a lot of them drank or ran around or whatever. And then the women, if they did talk about it and express it, it was known as hysteria. Uh-huh. And a lot of them were committed. Right. Right. So you just shove or electroshock therapy. That's happened to my grandmother. Yeah. Yep. For her depression. Mm-hmm. I'm curious about your because you said that it, you know, it wasn't until you were an adult did you sort of figure yeah. out that your anxiety might be more than just like a little bit of worrying. And then and then also when did depression kind of invite itself into your home? <laughs> Did it bang down the doors and right? Well, maybe it did kick down the door. Well, it really did, and I do think, again, in hindsight, uh, you know, being twenty twenty, I think I was really depressed as a teenager. I think I had tons of depression and anxiety as a teenager, but I just didn't. I also had extreme hormonal imbalances, so I was, you know, super cuckoo. Um, And I went on the pill, and that when I was sixteen, and that really helped. But I think, um, you know, I think it was when I got divorced that I finally was able to put words to it. 
And I Mm -hmm. remember after my divorce and I was like, you know, I was pretty happy to get divorced, but there was this weird thing that was happening where I had, I was like lying on my couch and I was unable to move. And I had that, you know, classic no motivation. Mm -hmm. And I also, at the same time was having this, this really strong feeling in my solar plexus where I could, it was like a, like a wrench, like a knife just turning in my solar plexus. Like I, it was, it was like a screw and Mm -hmm. I couldn't breathe past it. And I was, I was like having so much trouble breathing. And I was also having this feeling of complete lethargy and just unable to motivate to do anything. And I went to my doctor for my depression and I was like, I think I'm depressed. And well, actually the very first time it happened was when I was postpartum. That was the first time. And that's why mm-hmm. I had postpartum depression. And my, at my two-week checkup, my doctor was like, how are you doing? And I immediately burst into tears. And she was like, mm-hmm. fill this prescription downstairs, take one immediately. <laughs> and huh. that was my first experience with going on medication. And it changed me on a dime, like on a dime. Okay. Um, and I got through that. And then I was like, okay, now I can go off of this because I'm not, you know. Because th- that's fun. Because, Yeah. what going off or what getting off medication you know I I was on such a pediatric because of my sensitivity I was on such I was on a pediatric dose it was actually okay okay and so then you know I went to my doctor after that so then you know this was like I don't know three or four years later five years later and I went and I was like about my depression I was like I think I need to go back on medication for depression I'm feeling really off and again like I immediately start like just sobbing and by the way, I was in therapy the whole time. And I kept telling my therapist about this feeling that I couldn't breathe. <laughs> she never identified it. And so then my- To me, that's like a telltale sign of anxiety. Well, you'd think, right? But I was still completely clueless, right? And, and so then my doctor said, okay, so that's definitely depression. He goes, what about anxiety? And I was like, wait, wait, you mean that? that feeling that like, I have this thing and it feels like, and I described it to him and he was like, "Uh, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) He was like, that's anxiety. And I was like, oh, because I guess I always thought that anxiety was like, I didn't have perseverating thoughts, right? So I thought it was intrusive thoughts. I thought it was perseverating thoughts. I thought it was a, a mental thing. And then mm-hmm. if it was physical, I thought it was like rapid heartbeat, like t- fear that was coming out of the thoughts. And I didn't, have- I didn't know any of that. Like you had way more information than I did. I, Cause this was before, I, and I'm assuming, I don't know if when that all happened for you, but when my dad got diagnosed, there was no Google. So I thought anxiety was just like chronic worry. Yes, and I was like, right. well, you can just knock that off. Right. Exactly. That's, I mean, that's kind of what I thought it was too, which is what I meant. Like by the thoughts, like worrying is thoughts, right? It's mm-hmm. like, it's in your head. It's not in your body. And right. if it is, it's cause like you, you have like, you know, your heartbeat goes up because you're worrying, right? That's, I mean, mm-hmm. exactly what I thought it was. And he was like, no, no, no. Like it's a, you're physical, you're manifesting it physically. That's anxiety. And I was like, it, that was like, to- I was like, what? <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I had no idea. And then I, then I started to look back and I was like, oh, I've had this, that feeling yeah, was new. That feeling came along with my divorce, but 
And, and I still have questions. Like I still have many questions, right? Yeah. I, that's so interesting that you, you knew more about it than I did. And mine really started to manifest. I, I think that I had like a low grade anxiety for a long time, but just thought like, it's just my personality. I'm just high strung and, and jittery. <laughs> just <laughs> how I am like a little terrier. And then when mine was situational, when I was um, in a really bad place in my former relationship, my long one with my ex-husband, there was a point where I remember I was on the phone with my, my best friend, Shelby, and I got off the phone with her and I was telling her something that was going on. Who knows what it was at the time, <laughs> whatever the, the, you know, the disruption du jour was with him and I, and I got off the phone with her and I was like, I'm going to be sick. And I was dry heaving and I didn't throw up, but I was dry heaving for a couple of minutes. And then my armpit started tingling and then it went all the way down into my arms, into my pinkies. <gasps> and then my, the rest of my fingers started tingling. And I was like, oh my God. And my heart was racing. And I'm like, am I dying? Like, what the fuck is this? Oh my God. So then it subsided eventually. <laughs> and then it happened again. And I went to my doctor and I broke down in her, in her, in the room and she gave me this clipboard and had me fill out this paper and, you know, it's, it's the questionnaire. Uh-huh. And I filled it out, crying the whole time, handed it back to her. She scored it and it came back as, so my official diagnosis was severe generalized anxiety disorder and mild panic disorder. And she was like, I think you need to be put on meds, mm-hmm. and, you know, cause when you, when she found out like how long it's been happening and the progression of it. And I felt just betrayed by my own body yeah. and I did not want to be on medication. I thought I, it was, again, it was like this moral failing that had happened. And I was angry with my dad. I was angry just at, I just felt like there was something wrong with me. Like I was broken. Like, how can I not fix this? How can I not figure this out? Like I'm, I'm, I'm a fairly smart girl at that point. I was 20, I think I was 26 and I went on medication and it changed my life. Yep. Yep. I was like, Oh my God, is this, is this how other people walk around? Right. Right. It was unbelievable how it changed everything. And then what happened with me I didn't know this. And I asked my doctor why she didn't tell me. And she's like, we don't like to tell people all the possible side effects because (laughs) people are anxious. And so I got orgasm dysfunction. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You know what that is? When you literally can't. (laughs) You can't. When you literally can't. And yeah. Yep. And you are at the point of your sexual encounter where you are on the cusp of having an orgasm and you stay there. Yep. Yep. And you, I can't. Yeah. The, you can't get a beat drop. <laughs> <laughs> and oh, it was so God. frustrating. And then it was scary. I'm like, is my clit broken? Like, <laughs> I had the same thing. Okay, so for since we're going there, so I had the same thing when <laughs> that last. Time. I did not expect to talk about. I this. know. Here it we go. Just, it was a big part of it. It sucked. It did suck. And that was the last medication I was on when I was that, that time when my doctor was like, yes, you have anxiety and depression and I'm going to put you on meds. So that was that period. So I've gone off and on a number of times in my life. And mm-hmm. at that point I had that, you know, I have a Hitachi magic wand. Okay. So okay, yes, that is for those who don't know, I have like the old school Hitachi magic wand. This thing plugs I was just about to say, is the, the one that plugs into the wall? It 
fucking plugs in. And it's like from 1980. Yeah. It, oh, it's from way before that, I think. But yes, this thing is like industrial. <laughs> it is humongous and it plugs in and it is like an industrial strength vibrator. And uh-huh. I would be like, like, <laughs> like winding wow. that thing on my foot. Hurt yourself. I was, well, no, because I couldn't feel anything. And I was like, yeah. I was like, oh no, did I like, can you overstimulate it? Can I like, I oh I my God. It. First of all, I thought I broke it with like overuse, like broke the Hitachi magic wand. No, that I broke my clit. Right. Like me broken too. Broken the nerve endings. And so I was never going to have an orgasm ever again. And then I would take this thing and I would be like grinding it. Like, like, come on. Yeah. <laughs> and it was awful. And it was, thank God it was the meds. And it, it took me a long time to put it together that it could be the meds. Oh and then God. I asked my doctor and she said, yeah, it's from the medication that you're on. It's a, you know, I don't remember if it's a common side effect, but it is a side effect, could be a side effect. And I I think her solution was to put me on an additional medication to oh. counter effect that side effect. Oh. And I didn't want to. And I can't remember if I declined at first or what happened, but I decided on my own accord. So we went on our honeymoon. We got married, went on our honeymoon. And I was like, I'm not having this sexual dysfunction thing while I'm on my honeymoon. Right. Um, and I went cold turkey, Oof. not oh, knowing. Again, oh, this was 19 oh. – no, this was 2003. Oh. So this was before Google. God. I didn't – I had no forewarning, like, don't just go cold turkey on your SSRI. It will mess with you. So I, oh. I did, and we were in Hawaii. And I, I was like on day two of not taking it. We were on a hike and I slipped in some mud because it's rainy in Hawaii. Mm-hmm. I slipped on some mud and slid a little bit down and I got mud on my shorts and I started crying and I had like a full on fucking meltdown oh because I got mud on my shorts. And so later my husband at the time <laughs> said, you know, when I had calmed down, I started, I took my meds again. Every, it was all fine. And he said, I was holding on to you so tight because I didn't really realize it at the time. We were standing like on a cliff. Oh, he said, oh I thought you were going to throw yourself over. Oh. I've never seen you that hysterical before. You were like out of your mind. Oh my God. And and I think also because it was kind of irrational. Like it was just a little bit of mud, but I was not in a very good mental state at all. So don't do that. Like <laughs> please people. Yeah. And I, I, I want to yeah. and I want to say I just want to point this out, right? That we're specifically not naming the the medica. I feel like we should just say that we're not that we're not naming the medication yeah. that we're on, um, or that we were on, because everyone is so different. And the thing that I've learned about this is that, and I've also learned this through having a child with very severe ADHD and going through, as you know, Andrea, like the tortures of the damned with medication yeah. for him. Brain science is amazing in that. We know there are different firing receptors, connectors, like all of these things that could possibly be wrong with the brain that can cause depression and anxiety. And then, and there's so that every, there's a different medication for everything. There's, there's so many different kinds of medications that do different things with the brain. The problem is that brain science is not caught up with, with that diagnostically. So it doesn't, we, it's all trial and error. And mm-hmm. everyone is different and everyone yeah. has a different. So I just want to be responsible in this conversation. Of- yeah. 
and again, my, my diagnosis came in 2001. So it was a long time ago. They've come a long way with medications. And, and I will just say for the record, I did end up taking the additional medication and it fixed my clit, Uh, (laughs) which it wasn't my clit. It was my brain. It was right. That was right. Something's going on with the serotonin and dopamine. I have no idea that was causing the orgasm dysfunction and it, and it got fixed. I met a woman who ended up being a really good friend of mine and we bonded over our anxiety disorders and we were on the same medication. Uh And I, I asked her, I remember leaning over the table and I kind of like hushed voice. And I said, does this ever happen to you? If you're late taking your medication or you accidentally skip a dose, does your brain kind of feel like it does this weird? And the way I described it is like an old film reel. Oh. And you know, sometimes it skips and what is it, what is it called? Well, it's like a glitch. Yeah. Uh-huh. And we called it isms because we didn't have a name for it. And I almost, and I've never had a seizure before, so I don't know what it feels like, but I would guess that this, that was sort of like what it was. And I would say, it's almost like a micro seizure yep. that I feel like I'm having in my brain. And she's like, yeah, that totally happens to me. You know, it's so funny. I've never had it happen to me, but I had a friend who took himself off of his medication and he, I think he did, might've done it cold Turkey too, or he was, he was tapering, but that was a side effect. And he finally, I was like, you need to call your doctor. Like, this is not okay. He was having it multiple times a day. It's scary. It's a very, apparently it's a very common side effect of going off and tapering off. And (sighs) my heart goes out to people uh like, I would never want to experience that again because I I haven't been on medication. When I got pregnant with Colton, I think is when um, – oh, and interestingly enough, when I had him, I had severe postpartum anxiety that went unaddressed. I didn't – I wasn't even – it was so bad. I remember crying, being convinced that somebody was going to come in our house and steal him. Like I was crying to my mom and I remember my mom looking over at Jason. You know how like you can yeah. you can tell when yep. you're I had that moment of like, oh, I am like bona fide crazy, I'm the crazy right person. now <laughs> based on the look that my mom just gave my husband or my boyfriend at the time. Yep. Yeah. And it it was so bad. And um I couldn't drive. I was having panic attacks in the car with him in the back seat, with my son in the back seat. Oh my God. And it wasn't as bad with Sydney. It was way, way, way better with her. And I think it was due to a lot of the stress that I had going on at that time in my life anyway. But I haven't been on medication since I found out I was pregnant with him. So that's been since early 2007. And it's it's reduced a lot. And I think a lot of it is A, based on the fact that I got sober and also doing my own work. And so it's very few and far between now that I have bouts of anxiety where I just wake up with it for no apparent reason. And we can talk about that in a minute because I'm curious like how you manage your own. Um, But you're still on meds, aren't you? Oh, hell yes. And when I was on the depression and anxiety combined medication a few years ago, that one time when I went to my doctor and he was like, that's anxiety. I ended up going up in my dose at one point and I ended up having um, suicidal ideation, which is a common side effect uh, if if you're on too high a dose. Like in some some medication, if you're on the wrong medication, it can cause that. And I think in hindsight right now, what I'm realizing, what I realize is that I was just on too high a dose Um, and it was the wrong medication for me. But it was really scary because I will tell you that if I did not have a child, I may not still be here. Mm. Um, so it was very scary because I've never been suicidal, but I was, there was, there was a, a, the 
depths of despair that I've never quite known. Um, and I was, and I was somehow my brain was convincing me that, um, I really, everything would be better if I was not here. Mm -hmm. And the only thing that that kept me was my son. Um, and as soon as I got off the medication, it completely stopped. And you know, what's really funny about this though. I will tell you, (laughs) it's not funny at all, but, um, at the time I thought that it was the combination of drinking because I was drinking while I was on this medication. Mm -hmm. So I thought it was the combination of drinking and my medication that was causing the suicidal ideation. And I, no lie, I went off my medication because I would rather have my, have kept my wine than my medicine. Oh, wow. I didn't know that. I know. I really didn't really think about, I mean, I, I, I remember having a thought, but I hadn't really thought about it now, like in sobriety. I hadn't really thought yeah. about that, but like, yeah. So that's what I did. I was like, I either have to quit drinking or go off my medication. <laughs> which, which is worse. Yeah. So I went off my medication, <laughs> which actually, by the way, I think saved my life. Mm-hmm. Actually, hmm. because I do think, I don't think it was the that I was drinking. I do think it was because I was on a too high of a dose of the wrong medication. Um, so maybe at that time my drinking saved my life. <laughs> That's a little, it's a little messed up, a little twisted. Wow. And so I went off and then it was another, I don't know, four or five years that until, and it was like a year and a half ago that I went, or maybe coming up on two years that I was going in for my general meeting, my, whatever, mm-hmm. my, my, my physical, what's that called? Yeah. Check up. <laughs> my general Check up. meeting. My checkup. <laughs> what? What? My menopausal brain doesn't work anymore. This is so sad. So I go in for my checkup and you know, the like 22 year old nurse's assistant comes in to do the like intake, the normal intake. And this poor girl starts doing the general screening questions for depression. For your general meeting. Mm-hmm. For my general meeting. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And I completely lose it. Oh, no. And I'm like hysterically hyperventilating in the office when she's literally just asking me like, do you have general feelings of sadness? Yeah. You like, and she didn't know what to do. Like, I think her training had not like <sighs> brought her to the point Shit. where it was like, what do I do if someone like, you know, actually answers yes to all these questions and they're not okay? <laughs> She was sort of like slowly backing out of the room. Oh my God. The doctor now. And I was like, and in that moment I was like, oh, I'm depressed. Cause you know, the thing about depression. So I am far more aware of my depression than I am my anxiety because my depression, I'm sort of more friends with my depression. I think that I tend to have more depression than anxiety. I think I Mm -hmm. definitely have both obviously, but you know, the thing about depression is that the, the worst part about depression is not knowing you're depressed, not knowing it is, quote, depression, right? Just knowing that you feel helpless, knowing that you feel all of these things and knowing that there's this despair that you're constantly in, but unable to name it as this one thing for which you can actually get help, right? Mm-hmm. And so it's like a, it's a trick. It's a, it's a real mind trick that it masks itself from you. And that you, you know, it's like when suddenly someone says, oh, that's depression. And you go, oh my God. Right. And that was like all the puzzle pieces kind of fall together. Puzzle pieces come together. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh my God. 
you know, in the, in the office. And then I was like hysterically crying. And then my doctor came in and was like, okay, so what are we going to do about this? And I was like, actually, I know exactly what I'm going to do about this. I need this medication. And I knew that the medication that I had taken for postpartum had been like a magic bullet for me. Mm -hmm. And I was like, write me this prescription for this much. (laughs) Okay. I thought you were going to say like, let me go home and get out my Hitachi magic wand. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Might have helped for a little bit. Might have helped. And, you know, and with my, my experience with medication, because I have such an incredibly sensitive system, it, it was a magic bullet again. And I immediately, like, basically, I called all my friends. I think I told you this. I told a number of people. I was like, if I ever tell you that I want to go off medication, mm-hmm. I want you to, like, have an intervention with me. Yeah. Because I couldn't function. I couldn't function. And I didn't realize how long I hadn't been functioning. Yeah, and as soon and it was because my system is so sensitive. It took me two days, two days. The first day I slept, and the second day I woke up, and it was like my light was turned back on. Mm-hmm. And that's a very unusual experience for people who take medication. Usually, it takes a couple of weeks for their systems to process. Yeah, um, but I'm like a classic HSP, and my body just fully absorbs anything that it gets put into it, which is Mm -hmm. a good thing and a bad thing. It's good for medication. Um, It's bad because I can get over-medicated. Like I can't wake up from anesthesia. Mm -hmm. It means I'm highly sensitive to caffeine. It means that I get hospitalized from maca root, (laughs) you know, like stupid things like that. that. Remember that? Well, Well, it's interesting about your experience with that. And I think yours is so common is that I had the misconception that people with depression just like the severity of it. Like depression is people who can never get out of bed. Yeah, yeah right. Which right. is so, sometimes true sometimes. for sure. Right. But what but no. I had in my head was severe depression. People who can't get out of bed, they mm-hmm. they sleep, you know, with all the curtains drawn. They never answer the phone. Like they're in complete isolation. And maybe I saw that in a movie somewhere or probably. It's like, it's like Camille. I mean, that? she like died of consumption or something. I don't know. It's, it's, you know, it's high drama basically. I'm like, I'm like, is that some, a friend of ours that I didn't know who yeah, that is? No. <laughs> <laughs> like, shit. Did I forget? Did I not <laughs> send her a card? Sorry about your consumption. <laughs> <laughs> Does Hallmark make one of those? Here, Camille. <laughs> but, but I, that's what I was talking about in the beginning of the, of our conversation is like, it's the high functioning yep. de- depression. And, yep. and I do think that it is something that I have, that is a bullet that I have dodged. And it's interesting given that I am so much like my father, you know, mm-hmm. like I definitely got the anxiety right. and so did my brother, but um, really neither of us. Um, and I can't speak for him and shouldn't speak for him on this, but from what I can tell, you know, both of us have, have dodged that bullet and, and I'm, I'm thankful for it, but only experienced it in the depths of despair, during my divorce, but that was very circumstantial and very understandable. You know, like what I was going through, like nobody would have like skipped through that and been like, it's not so bad. It was terrible. And, and I I ended up walking through it. But when I did the whole 30, like that was, that was an experience that I've talked about it on the show and I'll just briefly, I think I was on like day 15 or something. And 
crying for four days in a row. God, I will never forget it. We had just moved into this house. I remember exactly where I was sitting, where I was like, I think that this is the third day in a row that I've woken up with this and I couldn't shake it. It felt like those commercials with those little cartoons and they're walking around in the cloud is just like raining and like following them around. It was this malaise that I could not shake. And it felt like it was all over my skin. Like I was like somebody had like rubbed this lotion all over me that I couldn't get off. And I just wanted it off. I wanted my old self back and I couldn't find her. And I was so incredibly sad Mm. for no reason. Nothing had changed in my life. There was no circumstance that would make me be sad. That was scarier than anything I think I've ever experienced. And also gave me such, such immeasurable compassion for people who struggle with that a lot. Yep. It's just terrible. That was how I felt all the time. And when I got on medication, it was like the clouds parted. Literally, I was like, oh my God. Mm -hmm. It was night and day, like actually. (laughs) Yeah. For me, I just needed to start eating bread and sugar sugar again. I know, which is crazy, which is crazy. And you know, I know. Cause I was like, you're just detoxing, Andrea. You're just, detoxing. well, and in my naturopath said, she's like, first of all, I don't like the whole 30. She said, right. she just said she doesn't like it when people do it without support. Yep. Um, and yep. she said, she's like, I can't pinpoint what exactly triggered it, but she's like, it could have been your menstrual cycle. It could have been a number of things going on that she's like, I don't know. I would need to look at your blood work and, and hormones and all this stuff. And, um, but she just said for some people doing that kind of massive change to your diet can be like driving down the freeway and throwing your car in reverse. Oh God. Right. Just right. Massive changes. And some people don't handle it well. And I just was one of those people. So, yeah. And it's great. And so, so what's really interesting is that I have the exact opposite. And I think it's because of my sensitivities and all of that was that, you know, and I think getting back on medication was the beginning for me this last time, like almost two years ago, it was really the beginning of healing in so many ways for me, because I was, once that was gone, I was able to heal so many other things right? I had, Mm -hmm. you know, the year before I had bottomed out on my eating disorder stuff, which we have talked about Mm -hmm. (laughs) on the podcast, Mm -hmm. like six months after I got back on medication was when I got sober. Yeah. And I was able to get sober because I wasn't, you know, I wasn't self-medicating, you know, or I was self-medicating, but it was, you know, I didn't need to, um, you know, the medication was helping me in certain ways. And, you know, I was clear enough. I got clear enough to the point where I was like, I have to stop this. And then from, from quitting drinking, I, one of, you know, then the the more I cleared out, because I was getting back into a depressive cycle from the alcohol Mm -hmm. and I was on medication and I was drinking and I was, and I, I was not at that point where I was like, I have to choose my medication or my booze. I was like, the booze is completely counteracting everything that I'm doing. You know, alcohol is a, it's a depressant. Depressant. Mm -hmm. And in reaction to filling your body with depressants, um, your body creates, uh, you know, cortisol and stress hormones. And so I was, you know, the depression and anxiety cycle was really strong. And so when I quit drinking, I got myself off of that cycle. And then like the cleaner I get, the cleaner I have to get, right? So, Mm -hmm. you know, recently I gave up sugar again, you know, and then I gave up um, gluten because I had so much physical, chronic pain, right? And it's just been like a steady process. And all of these things for me, because my system is so hypersensitive, 
I have to, it's like a hair trigger, right? So Mm -hmm. I have to not have these things in order to maintain. I feel right now with my daily small dose of medication and not drinking and not eating sugar and not eating gluten, I feel at a very, very even energy and sort of happiness level. Good. And yeah, and, and but any deviation will totally like, you know, will throw me off. And so I just have to be super careful. And that to mm-hmm. me is my level of self-care. And, yeah. you know, that's just the deal. That's just sort of how I have to live now. And I'll tell you, my mental health is worth every, every bit of that at this point. Yeah. Yep. Every, you know, piece of bread that you've given up. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. I I mean, it's crazy because, because here's the thing when I'm in chronic pain, I can't exercise. Right. Mm -hmm. So it just becomes a cycle. It just becomes this horrible cycle and sugar and gluten were causing so much inflammation in my joints Mm -hmm. that I was in, I had chronic pain. And so then I couldn't go to the gym and then my anxiety would start to cut. Right. It's like, uh, yeah, just never ends. It's exhausting. It's exhausting. (laughs) Yeah. And it's interesting. I, I mean, I'm sure you'll have a chuckle over this. But I've also noticed that my anxiety levels have all but diminished being in a relationship that doesn't cause me so much anxiety. <laughs> oh my God. You don't say. Being don't in a relationship say. where I trust my partner. Oh my wow. God, what a concept. That made my anxiety go away. Yep. And it's not oh, to yeah. say we're perfect by any stretch. Like we have our problems, but it's, and I've always said this from the beginning, one of the things that attracted me to Jason in the in the first place was I was like, he's he's so like drama free. Like, just he is. um like for he's better, just easy. For better and worse, right? Like there there, right. there are positives to that, and then there, there are some drawbacks. Some drawbacks, but but he he just again, it's just being in a relationship where we also both feel comfortable and trust one another working on our problems together. Cause that's, it, it, that's anxiety inducing, but the level of it is massively less knowing that, okay, I trust him enough that we're going to walk through this problem together. Oh, God, it's yeah. going to be fine. It's going to yeah. be deeply uncomfortable in the interim, but it's going to be okay. And that, that has helped massively. And of course I still have moments of circumstantial anxiety with my kids or with my business or whatever, but it is few and far between now where I wake up with it. The, the days that I do wake up with it, I know what it is. Sometimes it takes me a minute. Like sometimes it takes me like a good hour, you know, after I've gotten up and I'm like, what is this feeling in my chest? And just, this, yeah. I was like, okay, now here's what it is. And I get frustrated that it's there because I know it's going to hang out all day. And there's been a few times where I've had to cancel my whole day. And uh, just say, you right. know what? I can't. I have to move clients to a couple of days later. And and it really is it's just I'm just I'm not feeling well. I'm sick mm-hmm, today. And mm-hmm. that's what it is. And I just yep. what I have noticed is, and again, this is a conversation about shit that matters with unqualified people, not a oh my gosh, tips, tips and tools. But I will yeah. say this because I do think it'll be helpful for people. Because the thing that I've learned is that the more I resist it and the more angry I get at it or at myself for having it the more it likes to stick around and just fuck with me. But now where I'm just like, okay, I'm not happy you're here, but I'm just going to surrender to the fact that you are. Yeah. Then it just, you know, if I can take a nap that day, I will. If I can limit my caffeine intake, I mean, obviously I can. I absolutely do that. And I just, 
do what I can to take care of myself that day. I'll mm-hmm. take a bath, you know, I'll do these things. And it's interesting because it doesn't take over my day. Like it just sort of is like a dog that's like following you around and you're like, oh yeah, yeah, you're there. But you don't, it's not necessarily in the way. Yep. That's what my anxious days look like now. Yep. Absolutely. And you know, I'll tell you that my, when mine comes up, it is all because again, my crazy ass sensitivities, I can track mine with the full moon. Oh, really? It I is. probably could too. I just never yep. have done it. I started to, I started, I was like, what is going on? And then I would look, I would like look outside and be like, oh, that's weird. Huh. And then the next month, the same thing would happen. And I would look out and it was a full moon. I'm like, fucking A, if this is not completely tethered and this last full moon almost did me in. 1212 12 on 1212. 12. Yep. <laughs> yeah. It almost did me in. And I had so many friends who were the same way. Like we were actually, I, was, I had dinner with some girlfriends last night and we were all, all three of us were talking about it. We were like, oh my God, it was so powerful and so intense. And I, as you know, Andrea, I'm like really not that woo. Like mm-hmm. I am not this like, you know, lunar, whatever. I, I, this is like not really my thing, although it's becoming more and more my thing. As I like, I told you, like I taught myself tarot and like, everyone's like, who are you? <laughs> um, but I, you know, I start to notice these things. And of course, you know, it makes sense scientifically, right? Like it controls, sure. the full moon controls the oceans, the, the oceans. Tides. The tides. We are we are seventy five percent water, right? Like it just—it really does make sense, right? And so I can look at that and be like, okay. And so now I can actually look at a lunar calendar and be like, okay. So this day is probably going to be a little, a little funky, mm-hmm. and I can just look out for it and just, yeah. you know, and do what you do, which is, you know, just lie on the couch and zone out and just give myself the space to have the feelings that I'm having. Yeah. And I know that, and, and I want to just point out too, like we have the luxury of working for ourselves that we can do that. And I know that that's not everybody's luxury. And right. there's probably a lot of single parents out there that just can't turn it off. Right. So what I would, yep. what I would say to that is, and you can probably speak to this, you know, being a, a single parent for so many years is, is reach out to people who care about you and just mm-hmm. say like, I need some help for today. Yep. Can oh, you do this for me? Absolutely. Absolutely. And I talked to my son about it this, uh, this year. Um, you know, on twelve twelve, he, you know, and my son is like, I'm raising Alex P. Keaton. I don't, I don't know. He's a Republican. Where he came from? Well, he's not a Republican. Thank God. <laughs> oh my God! Yeah. You're the biggest feminist I know. <laughs> I know. I'm raising, actually, I'm ra- what I'm raising is a debater. He is like his okay. personality type is okay. the debater, and so. He's just, you know, he's taken tests. Like he took like some tests and like came out that he was a libertarian. And I was like, I don't know how, I don't, I don't know okay. where you came from. Um, but it's actually, that was a phase. He's sort of come down off of that. He's less, but he's very pragmatic. He's very intellectual, pragmatic. He's like, that doesn't make sense. When he was like three, I said something about feeling something in your heart. And he's like, mom, you don't feel things with your heart. Your heart is an organ. It pumps blood. And I was like, <laughs> <laughs> true, <laughs> true. Right. Well, yeah. for those people who don't know who Alex P. Keaton is, like just for some context, oh god, it was a Family Ties. Well, I have a, I have a, a big younger audience too. Yeah, have, right. They run the gamut, but Family Ties was a family show where the parents were hippies from the sixties, got married and had kids, and one of their sons was a Republican. It was Michael J. Fox. Michael J. Fox, and he went to high mm-hmm. school in a suit with a brief briefcase with a sweater vest with a sweater vest, and they were like. <laughs> 
they had like, didn't they like meet at Woodstock or something? Or he was like conceived something at like Woodstock. That, yeah. Like they were like, well, exactly. how, is this, how did this happen? And so that's basically me and, uh, and my son, like, I'm like, how did this happen? But he's like, you know, super smart and all of the things he's, he's, he's a great kid. But, um, I talked to him about it this time. I was like, you know, the moon is really powerful and look how beautiful she is. And we went outside and looked at it and he was like, wow, that is really powerful. That's really incredible. And he was like, but I mean, all this stuff about it, like you feeling it, like that's kind of, that's like bullshit, right, mom? And I was like, well, and then I brought up the science about, you know, the tides and the oceans and that we're mostly water. And he was like, oh, well, that's interesting. And I was like, yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm going to get you. I'm going to get you one wizard. way or the other. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh. Okay. Well, I have loved this and thank you so much. And this has been a long time coming this episode and I appreciate your being candid and honest and open and talking about all the things, anxiety yeah. and depression in your life. And Thank you. I'm so glad. Yeah, I'm glad we got to talk about this too. I think like these are these conversations that we, you know, you and I have had over the years. Um, mm-hmm. And it's, I think it's just so much, so important to talk about it and to be um, upfront about it for sure. Yeah, I'm glad that especially women that, well, I should say, are, you know, more people, but especially women that are younger than us. I think that the millennial generation is talking about mental health so much more than we did. Oh my God. And thank that God. makes, thank God. Thank God. <laughs> Thank God Thank for you. them. Thank all of you. Really, <laughs> for real. I think millennials get such yeah. a bad rap and people say, like, I think you guys are awesome. <laughs> I do too. Like, I think there's yeah. so many great things that they are just not tolerating in terms of, mm-hmm. you know, biases with sexuality and people and mental health. Just so much great Y'all stuff. are going to change the world for real. Yes. Let's hope so because I am tired. Yeah. Gen Xers are tired. We are so tired. Yeah. <laughs> We are so tired. Thank you. Exactly. (laughs) Oh God. Anyway. All right, you guys, thank you so much for being here. Everyone, you know, I know how important and valuable your time is. So I thank you for joining me every week. And until next time, I will see you all out in cyberspace. Bye-bye. 